Weekday afternoon replay from Money FM 89.3. Market View on Money FM 89.3. Good afternoon and welcome to Market View Wrap on Money FM 89.3. I'm Clarissa Montero, joined as usual by JP Ong. And since it is Friday, and we are broadcasting live from Guaco Tower Atrium Basement 2, Jeff Howie, strategic market analyst from the STX, is with us as well. Okay, gentlemen, this has been a very interesting week. A lot of people waiting on the sidelines, waiting to see what the news would be coming out of those. U.S.-China trade talks and how they would affect markets. How have they affected markets? Well, it seems that uh, it's uh, giving markets a boost so far today and a happy Friday for markets here and across the region. Guess what? We're back above 3,100 again. Very impressive to see us up by uh, 22 and a half points for the Straits Times Index at least. And it really comes down to signs that perhaps both sides might be coming to a partial trade deal. Now, you can look at it from uh, both sides. It seems that the Chinese, the Chinese delegation has hinted that they might be close to what they call an early harvest agreement. I, actually, there's a very interesting term to call it, actually. An early harvest agreement on issues such as currencies and copyright protections, despite increased irritants between the two world's largest economies. This, according to the, to the, uh, to the Chinese side, they, uh, they did say that they are hopeful they can come to a partial and perhaps just a ceasefire at the moment that could avert the, uh, the rising of or the raising of uh, tariffs on 250 billion U.S. dollars worth of Chinese goods. This was echoed by the U.S. side, none more so than U.S. President Trump, who said that the first day of talks went very well, and that he's actually meeting Vice Premier Liu He later on today, um, e uh, on Friday morning, Eastern time, and it is giving hope that we might see a bit of a ceasefire. But really, I mean, when you think about it, um, it's such a complex uh, situation that all you can really ask for is a bit of an extension and also a possible ceasefire and a pared down trade deal at the moment. I think this is something that uh, many markets will, will, uh, can agree on probably and, I'd like, and uh, I'm sure Jeff has his thoughts also on, uh, on whether or not this will indicate a successful resumption at least or this would be a successful round for both sides if they can come to that indirect. Jeff, what do you think? Well, the, Washington, the meeting is in Washington tonight between President Trump and Vice Premier Lloyd. The, yes, that's right. The, uh, I, well, President Trump said the meetings are going really well. I thought the key takeaway was what Vice Premier Loy had to say, uh, that the Chinese side, and this is uh, quoting, uh, Chinese side has come with great sincerity and is willing to make serious exchanges with the US on the common concerns of trade balance, market access, and investor protection. Yeah. Uh, so when you see both of these sides, I think the big worry leading up to these talks was that they both had different agendas and different uh, goals leading up to this. The Chinese were saying for the longest time, we want to keep things uh, narrow, we want to keep the focus on trade and not have a lot of uh, other issues. We want to focus on copyright protections, we want to focus on, on some of these agricultural purchases that we might actually have to do, the, the tariffs, and perhaps the lifting on some bans. So they had, didn't talk about Huawei this time, but they are asking the U.S., can you please lift the lift these sanctions on Costco shipping? because. They they did raise the levies on them because they were accused of actually shipping Iranian oil against the embargo on Iran. So this is one of the things they're going to ask for, and, they're out, and I think they're looking at the U.S. going, look, this is a small thing at the moment. Can you give us this at least so we can move things forward? And perhaps this also shows that the President Trump or the Trump administration that did say echoed over the last two weeks on and on, we want a big deal, we want a comprehensive deal or nothing at all. It seems they've seen, they've acquiesced. I think both sides are realizing, look, if we're going to come to a consensus, we have to start small, we have to start start slow and we've got to lay the building blocks and, and take it one step at a time and perhaps I think this is what markets are hopeful for that both sides are, are finally ag um, agreeing or, or coming to a consensus 
that they've got to take uh, they've got to take things at a slow and steady pace building but it is going to be a progress and if they are agreeing to this the hope is that this will lead to a sustainable trade deal down the road and an extension is well is is better than nothing and a ceasefire at least at this point is better than nothing right okay so the last two weeks we saw language being ratcheted up it it looked like they were both pretty firm and they were going to dig in but it seems like in the last couple of days there has been a thaw in relationships so does that mean that we can be more hopeful that they'll come to something that will give the markets a boost going into next week well you can look at the two weeks and also look in the context that there have been two particular months this year where mm-hmm. trade tensions have really escalated yep. that is in may mm-hmm. and that was in august uh, if you look at the effect or the impact it's had on our stock market it's it's quite telling yeah uh, if you look at the STI in the year today we've generated a 5% dividend inclusive return if you look at our two most popular stocks that is the two biggest mm-hmm. and the two most popular on a day-to-day turnover basis it's DBS group holdings and it's Singtel both those stocks have doubled the return of the STI, they rose up 10% mm-hmm. year to date. Right. But since uh, May, when we had the first escalation this week, we've had an incredible differential in performance between the cyclical DBS stock and the more defensive Singtel stock, mm-hmm. to the point that the performance differential since going into May has been as much as 14%, even though both stocks are up, as I said, 10% right, in year right. to date, which is uh, is telling. I mean, you can see it again today. So, uh, as you were saying, the market is hopeful because if you look at the share price of DBS today, it's up one percent. You look at the share price of the comparatively more defensive Singtel in the year today, it's down one percent. And in some ways, uh, Singtel is doing its best impression of a cyclical stock. Just a hint at that. You've seen them actually come up and down. I think one of the reasons also is because it's partially due to DBS and uh, and a report that DBS released over this week, where they actually called into question whether it's not Singtel can maintain the dividend policy. They actually think Singtel will have to cut their dividend policy or their dividend uh, layout by about two cents per share. And they say, and, and part of this also because they said there's going to be continued competition. We do know that there's a thir- another telco player coming into uh, Singapore sometime later this year. And there's also that massive 5G layout that they're going to have to spend for. This is going to cost them, the likes of StarHub and, and, and other telcos, a lot of money. And this could put pressure. This is why you've got the three ratings agencies. They actually have their credit outlook on Singtel at a negative. Now, they, they're, they're not saying that Singtel is going to capitulate anytime soon, mm-hmm. but this is going to put some near-term pressure on them there. So I think this has also been weighing on Singtel. I think it's very interesting that this is coming from DBS, uh, and that you're seeing Singtel starting to do a bit of a, an imitation of a cyclical stock. But really, when you look at the intraday swings for Singtel, at the most, they're up by two cents, down by two cents. So even then, the intraday gains and losses for Singtel relatively capped also. Yeah. That, was, that was a... Uh very popular read article in the right. Business Times that quoted the DBS report as, you, as you're talking about, but it also on the other side quoted the IHS, IHS right. market report as well, which uh, looked at the payout level in the context of its free cash flow and basically had a different view to DBS. Right. But the, uh, you know, the business still, Singtel, I think in the first half of this year, its operating revenue was up uh, 2% year on year in constant currency terms. Using that same uh, measure, it was up 4% in the previous year. DBS at the same time as well has generated uh, 11% year-on-year total income growth in the first half of this year. So both financials are in check. But one key difference, JP, is when you look at the net institutional flows, the net institutional Mm -hmm. inflow into uh, Singtel, it's been uh, around $460 million in the first nine months. 
versus an outflow for DBS, which has been around 200 million mm. over the first nine this, months. This is definitely this for me. The the the, uh, the simple answer, the easy uh, the easy explanation, also is because Singtel will always be seen as a dividend play, and even if they even though you might see a bit of a slight uh, a step down, a slight shaving of that dividend policy, it's not going to be by much, really. I think I think and everyone I think is still. This is a real question as to whether or not you are willing to bet on the 5G push. Now, the thing is, there's a lot, the possibilities are endless. I spoke to Fitch's, uh, Fitch's Janice Chong the other day about uh, what this impact might be, and they said the, thing, the, the, the kicker here is, is there's going to be a lot of upside here, but for the time being, we're going to have to figure out what exactly that upside is because there's no dollar value yet on it. It's a changing technology every day or every week. We have something new about what 5G can do, what 5G can't do. Mm -hmm. We're still figuring that out, but meanwhile, the costs are there. So are you willing to bear the brunt of the cost for for some serious upside down the road, and can your stomach handle that as an investor? Um, I, I think this also calls into question: Well, are you a short-term or a long-term trader down the road? And I think the pressure is on Singtel, or the challenge at least on, is, is on Singtel and a lot of these telcos to try and manage this shift. Because if you don't do the shift to 5G, you could easily get left behind and not be called a telco in the next 10 years, maybe. Right. Okay. So one of the one of the sectors that was probably most hard hit by the, the ratcheted up tensions in the, between the Chinese and the Americans was the manufacturing sector. Now with as good as the vibrations have been after day one of the negotiations, how do you think the manufacturing sector is going to respond to this? Well, uh, when we were here last Friday, not at Quarko Tower. We, we were, were at SUSS. S yeah, SUSS. Yes. It's been a long week. We were, <laughs> we were discussing the payrolls for that night, and mm -hmm. payrolls did come in as expected uh, in the US, uh, 136,000 jobs created. But the manufacturing component of those 136,000 jobs, it was actually a decline. It was down 2,000 jobs. Mm -hmm. That's a big contrast to one year ago when the September 28 uh, employment numbers showed that manufacturing jobs grew by 18,000. And the, uh, I think it was 134,000 jobs uh, reported for that month in September 2018. The resilience, though, is there in a lot of the high-tech um, business. So if you look at our top 40 stocks by turnover, right. we have eight manufacturers. You have the two F&Bs, you have the two maritime businesses, and you also have, uh, I guess, two high-tech businesses, AEM Holdings, which does have that mm -hmm. 5G exposure, as well as Hype International. And we all know Thai Beverages had a good run this year. It's up 48% year to date. Mm -hmm. But AEM Holdings, which has that 5G exposure, as we said, is, uh, is a very close second at 46% year-to-date gain. And it's also because AEM, if I'm mistaken, they're not just known, and they're not, it's, it's one of the worst kept secrets that they, they count Intel as one of their top clients. And Intel has hinted that, you know, maybe the slowdown in the semiconductor industry is not going to hit us as hard. We're looking at other sectors to invest in. And AEM has also been deepening their relationship also with Huawei. So right. they are in a very interesting position to take advantage of that. Also, a number of analysts have also pointed out that, yes, this trade war can hit Singaporean manufacturing, but keep in mind, this trade war is also making a lot of these foreign manufacturers based in China look for um, manufacturing bases outside and across the ASEAN space. So mm -hmm. if you're going to go into the ASEAN space, you might as well go with some of these experienced, uh, ex a big experienced manufacturers that can help you at least shift some of your supply chain. And they've actually highlighted that Venture Corp, which is seen as being very exposed to the side of trade, uh, trade war, if they play their cards right, can actually benefit from some of these, uh, some of these uh, investments flowing, um, shifting out of China and into the supply chains or the production line, say, of venture either here in Singapore or in, in their production bases around around the region as well. So it's not a zero-sum game where, where if the trade war gets bad, then Singapore's manufacturing space is going, to, is going to capitulate. There are opportunities there, but you've got to be able to pivot if you're the likes of venture, ADF, Hypey, you name it, right? 
Exactly. But it does offer some headwinds. Mm. I think some near-term headwinds because, again, shifting and changing mm. is not going to be easy. It's going to be very awkward. It's going to be a little bit difficult. But, again, it, it, now you have to ask yourself, does the leadership of these companies, can they actually manage that pivot. And I think uh, the markets at least are giving them benefit of the doubt because as we talked about the other week, uh, Venture Corp, despite these headwinds up, I believe it's 12%, 13%, Jeff, year to date, I believe, somewhere there, yes. And they're easily, uh, regardless, they're easily outperforming the STI. Yeah, it's interesting. They're up 14% uh, year to date mm. and pretty much uh, have been in line with Singapore tech engineering in the year to date, but that's uh, just in the recent couple of days gone, gone a little right. bit higher, so that's up almost 20% year to date. Mm -hmm. But there's one other sector which is interesting to watch in the first seven sessions of October. It's healthcare. And these stocks, our five most traded healthcare stocks, they're not in the top 50. They're usually between top 50, between the high 50s to the um, just past the 100 mark in terms of ranking these stocks by a turnover tally. But together, Rapples Medical Group, Parkway Life REIT, First Real Estate Investment Trust, First REIT, Clearbridge Health and Thompson Medical. So I'm looking at the healthcare stocks uh, that aren't the manufacturing plays like Hall Power and Tianjin, Johnson, Medtex and so forth. They've all generated gains in the year to date. So, I'm uh, sorry, month to date. Uh, in the year to date, they're flat. But what we've seen in the uh, first seven sessions of this month, uh, they've averaged around a 3% gain, so they've outperformed the STI by as much as 4%. And as I say, they're not high turnover stocks together. They, uh, they average uh, close to uh, between 5 and $10 million a day as, as a group. But nonetheless, they have stuck out, um, stuck out in the market somewhat yeah. uh, as uh, all, all kind of moving in a defensive direction. It, it's really the value turnover and the market caps of these stocks that's really holding them back. But when you look at it, uh, and when you look at the report card of the manufacturing space and the GDP report card here, healthcare and biopharma are the only ones that are really showing signs of growth. And more importantly, they're the only ones that seem, they're one of the few sectors here that continues to hire also in terms of jobs. So that's a real indicator that these sectors are growing. You just have to find exposure there and really the only sticking point that's holding them back are turnover and also their market caps at the moment, keeping them from being very liquid at the moment in the markets. And while they are small they, they were only they were one of only three sectors that did post consecutive institutional inflows for both August and there September. Yeah. So is this because with the market being as skittish as it is, they're, one of the, they're looking for new safe havens? New safe havens, but also looking for new growth opportunities. Now, these, these, it could take a while before these stocks start to, to wake up or be mm -hmm. recognized for what their growth is. For one, they're going to have to maintain these growth rates over the, over the course of the next couple of years. So they're, good, they're hot now, but will they be hot later? Aging society, they, they are very, it's, it's the forefront of... Uh, um, uh, providing some of these uh, opportunities for some aging societies around Asia also. So there is some upside. Will they be able to manage that, number one? And B, will they be able to make enough noise at least in the market to go, hey, look, take a look at us. But as Jeff said, institutional flows are starting to flow to them if that continues slowly but surely. I wouldn't be surprised to see, see their value turnovers double or triple maybe in the next couple of years. Yeah, and uh, just looking at the, the week that we've seen this week, the, if the turnovers, are the, what's had most impact on the turnover being a little lower than normal, is that your big cyclical stocks have seen a lot less turnover than their average, the likes yeah. of OCBC, UOB, Gunting Singapore, and so forth. Mm. Yeah. All right, so we have an interesting next few days as we sort of digest what's going on with day one and now day two, and then it is the weekend. 
You know, Monday is going to be a very interesting day because so much could happen over the weekend. Well, it's not just over the weekend. There's that. But keep in mind that next week's going to be very interesting. It's, it's what I call a GDP trade sandwich. Oh, okay. And I'm saying this because on, on Monday, 8 a.m., we're going to get the advanced third quarter GDP figures for Singapore and China's trade figures at the same time. On Friday, it's going to be the reverse. We're going to get our, uh, Singapore's non-oil and electronics exports and China's third quarter GDP numbers. So you can see there's going to be a lot of data to sort through and maybe also a chance for us to take a, uh, take a tally of just what the trade war, how it's impacted these two, our, our economy and China's economy also. I think one of the questions we're going to have to ask also is if they do come to an interim trade deal mm -hmm. and they're able to stop or able to calm things down, how long will it take before we see it start to calm down some of these GDP, these downward pressures we're seeing here in China across the world? How long will it take before we start to see it uh, simmer down? And if we can keep it simmered down, because we've seen these things change at the drop of a hat sometimes. Yeah, we've also got, uh, importantly, the MAS monetary yes. policy statement due on Monday morning, I think around the same time as GDP. And that will be, uh, that'll be interesting as well, because last time that policy statement was released was 12th of April, and uh, they expected GDP in Singapore for this year to be coming in between the midpoint of the 1.5% to 3.5% forecast range. And if you look more recently at the recent economic development paper that they release every quarter, so it was in early September, they had lowered that forecast down to flat to 1% with the outcome expected to be also in the midpoint of that range. So given the lower growth forecast for this year, and uh, obviously no signs of these external headwinds abating, although we mm. will see what happens tonight. Uh, you know, the, 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 I think the consensus is that uh, MAS might be inclined to slightly ease its current rate of appreciation mm -hmm. of the, what is it, the Singapore dollar nominal effective exchange rate. It, you, you know what it sounds like to me, gentlemen? It sounds like I can't take the day off on Monday. No. <laughs> Not at all. You cancel that golf time. Oh. That, that tea time. Sorry. I, I don't like you, JP. You're always taking my golf away. Well, this has been Market View Wrap with JP Ong. I'm Clarice Montero, of course, as usual, joined by Jeff Howie, strategic market analyst from the STX. We look forward to a very interesting and busy Market View week next week on Money FM 89.3. Before acting on the information on MoneyFM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance.